Welcome to uh, Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. I'll be here until 11 today. We close out the week with an open line here at 9 o'clock. After the 10 o'clock news, I'm going to talk about the solar eclipse with Professor David Linton. Then after that, more open line up until 11. If you want to join in, it's easy. 3569397 gets you right on the air. The Castle Heating and Cooling text line is 351-5357. So we'll run through our headlines in the news today. You want to pick up on those stories? Good. If you want to bring up something uh, entirely new, something that you've been wondering about, a question or a comment or a statement that uh, you want to share with others, that's what we do in an open line. And we'll begin uh, taking your calls uh, whenever you're ready, 356-9397. And at 9.06, Motor is kicking it off this morning. Hello, Motor. Yeah, well, well. Okay, yeah, motor call us uh, back. We're having a little phone problem here, but I think we got it fixed uh, quickly. We got a uh, a busy signal there, and I think it was because somebody in here knocked the uh, phone off the hook. It could have been me. <laughs> no, maybe it was uh, Ed Bond. He's got on his Flight Star Blue here today. I, I thought for a moment he was not going to be able to engineer that he was going to have to go... Uh, Hop in a jet and go someplace. Why don't we just do that? That'd be a good idea, wouldn't it? Call back, motor. We uh, I messed up there by uh, by having the <laughs> knocking the phone off the hook. That's not a good way to uh, start the program. But uh, we'd be glad to uh, talk to you at three five six nine three nine seven, or you can even text us at three five one five three five seven. Motor, good morning. Yeah, good morning. We we finally got to you. Well, I'm. Uh, it was my fault. Uh, what, what's uh, what's going on with you? Oh, everything's going good so far. Good Lord, bless blessed me, and I hope He's blessing everybody else. Hmm. I I want you guys out there driving. Make sure you got your lights on when this fog comes up, and uh, the cars. If you look in your rearview mirror, if you don't have your lights on, you you blend in with the with the forest. And uh, you can't see you. Why is it foggy where you are? No, I'm just saying it's a possibility we're going to have some fog tomorrow morning. Oh, all right. And I just want to let them know to turn them lights on and windshield wipers if it's raining. 
And God bless you guys for everything because you're doing a great job. Hey, appreciate your call. Thanks very much. Okay. Well, President Trump is turning up the heat. He warns of unprecedented response if Guam is attacked. Meanwhile, China pledges neutrality unless the United States strikes North Korea first. Let's see what's uh, some of the details of that uh, headline. Not sure exactly what they mean they would do if the United States striked first. Tom Rogan of the Washington Examiner writes about the fact that a U.S. nuclear strike on North Korea would look like, and then he goes ahead and writes about what it would look like. You can imagine. Greg Jarrett says Special Counsel Robert Mueller has shrewdly stacked the deck against Trump. Trump thanks Putin for expulsion of the U.S. diplomats, save it will save, said it will save us a lot of money. Send them all home. We, who, we don't need no diplomats. And I hear locally our Urbana officials are pleading for the override of Governor Rauner's veto of the school funding bill. Jim Dye writes in today's Gazette editorial about the boss of the house in Springfield, Michael Madigan, plus the story of how a small person with a big heart can do a lot. Little girl over in Danville had an idea. I'll tell you how it turned out. And uh, the first phase of what eventually will be a 25-mile recreational trail will open August 25th. The section they're talking about uh, that will be open will be between Urbana and St. Joe. It's going to be a brief uh, ceremony at uh, 5.30 in St. Joseph, celebrating the opening of the Kickapoo Rail Trail. Then after that, the trail will be ready for bikers and hikers and whoever wants to uh, to take a look at it and take a walk, have a little fun. But the public is asked to stay off the trail until the official opening. Again, that opening is the 25th. Illinois State Fair is open. Governor Rauner kicked that off yesterday. The opening was marred by a fall by Agriculture Director Raymond Poe. He tripped and fell backwards on the main gate pavement. Witnesses said he struck his head, got up, uh, was conscious, was talking, and uh, they took him away in a um, a golf cart. No word, uh, at least I haven't seen any uh, word yet on his condition. Hopefully he's okay. It's 912 at 72 degrees. Those of you that uh, wanted an open line, Tiny, uh, (laughs) this is an open line up until 10 o'clock. President Trump has turned up the heat even more on North Korea. He did this uh, late last night. 
warning the regime of real consequences if it carries out an attack on Guam. Let's see what he does with Guam, Trump said of the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un. He does something in Guam, it will be an event the likes of which nobody has seen before. What will happen in North Korea? It's not a dare, it's a statement, Trump said of his vow to respond to any attack against Guam, which is a U.S. island territory. Trump made the comments during a wide-ranging question-and-answer session with reporters at the National Golf Club in New Jersey. He was seated at a table with Vice President Pence, National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster, and the CIA Director Mike Pompeo. Trump said of the North Korean leader, he has disrespected our country greatly. He has said things that are horrific, and with me, he's not getting away with it. He got away with it for a long time between him and his family. He's not getting away with it. It's a whole new ball game. Earlier in the day, Trump doubled down on his fire and fury warning to North Korea, saying the country should be very, very nervous about even thinking of attacking the United States or its uh, allies. And uh, Tiny is next. Hello, Tiny. Morning, Jim. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, I just thought I'd help you out a little. You're, you're suffering. No, I'm not suffering. I'm having a great time. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> um, Jim, the first thing I want to tell you is that uh, I'm uh, still a Trump man, and uh if we uh, sit around and wait for this guy to send one of those misguided missiles over here in lands in Champaign-Urbana, there's going to be a lot of people change their mind and wonder why he didn't go ahead and throw one down their chimney over there. Uh, that's what uh, Reagan did, and we're waiting on uh, these other guys that have been in there president. All they want to do is go over and, uh, and play soldier. This guy is not playing soldier. He wants to kill a lot of people. Um uh, yeah, he's a nutcase, all right. Well, yeah, he's an idiot. He's a full-blown uh, a nutcase, as you say. And uh, we're having to deal with him, and Trump's in a... He's between a rock and a hard spot. One other thing, Jim. I don't care for the Urbana school superintendent. I live in Urbana. To stand up with a couple of Democrats and tell me that Ronner's wrong. Now, I don't know whether he is or not, and neither does he. When he's standing up there with Carol Amons, who's probably the worst representative we ever had, and our illustrious mayor of Urbana, he's wrong. School boards don't get into politics, I didn't think. Now, maybe, if I'm wrong, tell me. Well, I, I, I'm, not, uh, tell, I'm not telling you you're wrong. I, I don't know. I did, it is a kind of peculiar, but uh, there are school people who are desperate for the, to, to get this thing settled, to get some money. There's no doubt about that. Well, there's no question about that, but what I want to know, who's right? Is, is Ronner right or is, uh, is Madigan right if he wants to sponsor a, a, a pension system that's been sponsored by the, 
the city of Chicago ever since its inception. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden they're broke and head over their heels in debt, and uh, they want me and you to pick up the, the bill, and Ronner doesn't want that to happen, and he's trying to stop it. But in the meantime, a lot of kids are suffering, and uh, I don't know who's right. I wish I did. Me too, Katania. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you. your call. We're at uh, 356-9397. Our text line is 3515357. And we go to uh, Tony. Hello, Tony. I wasn't sure if Tiny was talking about Trump or him being the bigger idiot. <laughs> I, I was talking. I, w- I don't know about him. I was talking about uh, Kim being uh, the nutcase. Well, they're both nutcases, don't you think? I mean, that's part of the reason that this this guy from Korea keeps egging us on. Is Trump's big mouth. But here's what I want to call about today. You're going to have the climate or the solar eclipse guy on. Um, so do you know who Neil deGrasse Tyson is? Uh, no, I don't. He's like an expert scientist and one of these climate guys. He's, I bet if you Googled him, you know who he is. He's always on the TV shows. But his tweet last night, if you could bring this up to your solar eclipse guy, it would be great. He writes, odd, no one is in denial of America's August 21st total solar eclipse. Similar to climate change, methods and tools of science predict that. So, oh. he, so he's saying uh, just because we're able to uh, predict when the solar eclipse is uh, coming, we're also able to uh, predict what's going to happen with the climate? Is no, that... but we see it happening just like we can tell the eclipse is coming on August 21st. Right. We have been able to see what's going on with the climate over the years, and um, science predicts that it's not getting any better. Right, right. Yeah, so that's what he was saying. So I, I was just curious what your solar eclipse guy has to say about that. Well, I'll, I'll ask him. All right. Thank uh, you, sir. Yeah, Have thank you. Day. Appreciate it. And we go to Eric. Good morning, Eric. Hey, Jim. That tiny's right. And people that call in like that, that actually know what they're talking about, people should listen to them. Rauner is right not to pick up the tab on those crazy pensions that are going up every year with a 3% cost of living compounded raise. And, that you know, the stock market's flying for the last 10 years. What if it hadn't been? Those pensions, that, that whole thing would be underwater. So if there's a correction, which means the market goes down 20%, they're going to be really crying in the load, or if you will, the burden, like Tiny said, is being placed on the taxpayers. And it's not equitable. It's not fair. It should be placed on the pensioners. Okay, it's against the Constitution to reduce it. We need to change the state Constitution. That's where the answer is. They need to take what investors call a haircut, in other words, a reduction. That's a technical term. It's no joke. It's a reduction, meaning that they would forego their annual increase or take a slight reduction instead of four years from now not getting a check. That's what it means. Because the taxpayers are going to, quote, move away, and I'm not kidding you. A mass exodus is in, in going on right now. Well, they already are moving away. <laughs> There's my point. They didn't, they didn't float those loans. They didn't write that bad paper. 
And Madigan and all his buddies that did it and, and are getting a return on those bonds are all wrong in their inclusion, and it's not equitable. All right. Uh, thank you, Eric. You're welcome, Jim. Well, call me anytime, buddy. Call. I'm glad you called. All right. It's uh, 920, it's 73 degrees, and we take a quick break. We're coming uh, right back. Phone line's open. This is an open line on a penny up until uh, 10 o'clock, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the solar eclipse with uh, Professor uh, David Linton. I was telling you in this uh, headline about uh, China saying that they are neutral unless the U.S. strikes North Korea first. Here's, uh, here's more on that uh, story to tell you what China's position is, and this is obviously important. This is a big, big country. China's government says it would remain neutral if a North Korea attacks the United States, but warned it would defend its Asian neighbor if the U.S. strikes first and tries to overthrow Kim Jong-un's regime. If the U.S. and South Korea carry out strikes and try to overthrow the North Korean regime and change the political pattern of the Korean Peninsula, China will prevent them from doing so, report in the Global Times, which is a daily Chinese newspaper controlled by the Communist Party. Meanwhile, other Asia-Pacific countries have come out in support of the United States. And uh, even if they're in the event it is of a North Korean nuclear attack, Japan's defense minister said this week that his nation's military was ready to shoot down North Korean nuclear missiles if necessary. In Australia, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull described his country and the U.S. as being joined at the hip, according to the South China Morning Post. If there is an attack on the U.S., the treaty would be invoked, and Australia would aid the United States, Turnbull told Australia's radio uh, stations this morning that uh, he was referring to a collective security agreement between the United States, Australia, and New Zealand. The Chinese response to the heightened tensions between the U.S. and North Korea followed a number of hot-headed proclamations. North Korea threatened the U.S. with the nuclear attack on Guam, that's the U.S. territory south of Japan, and President Donald Trump said additional threats against the country or its allies would be met with fire and fury. And on Thursday, yesterday, the president doubled down on those remarks, saying his original comment possibly wasn't tough enough. In a separate appearance, Trump added, let's see what he does with Guam if he does something in Guam, it will be an event likes of which nobody has seen before what will happen in North Korea. One North Korean government official, meanwhile, accused Trump of going senile. 
So we got China saying uh, well, something happens here. We're on the North Korea side. We got uh, Japan and Australia saying the opposite. What would a nuclear strike on the North Korea look like? Responding Monday to new UN sanctions, North Korea threatened this attack on the United States. The foreign minister there said uh, of intercontinental attack capabilities meant that his nation could uh, teach the U.S. a severe lesson with its nuclear strategy force. Doubling down, North Korea's state news agency suggested that there is no bigger mistakes the United States uh, can, can make believing that its land is safe across the ocean. In the context of North Korea's rapidly advancing intercontinental ballistic missile program, these threats cannot be ignored. Still, North Korean officials would do well to remind themselves of the nuclear threat that they currently face. Because at this very moment, there are probably at least two Ohio-class U.S. US nuclear ballistic missile submarines on patrol in the Western Pacific. Their mission? To provide surety for the nation's strategic uh, nuclear deterrence posture, supporting the U.S. land-based and air-launched missile forces. They move slowly in a variety of predefined patrol sectors far out at the sea. So the the beat goes on over with uh, North Korea. And as I've said before, I don't know whether you agree, but it's it's uh, scary because of the nutcase that's running North Korea. Would have less fear if it was somebody else. 9.30, uh, Brian Barnard has the the latest word on the rally cats' uh, disappearance. Uh, what happened to the rally cat? <laughs> I don't know. They can't find it? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. The, uh, some woman uh, picked it up, and I think she took it home, said, that's my cat. And they said, no, this is not your cat. This is just a cat that wandered onto the field. Yeah. Well, and the idea of what they should do is get the video from the TV broadcast, and yeah. when they need a rally, just put the video of the cat running into the outfield and you know, let the crowd react. And let them... Let them let them beat up on that groundskeeper too. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't have to show the cat biting him or anything, but uh, you know. Well, yeah, yeah, the cat running onto the field and yeah, then uh, a... f- followed immediately by the uh, grand slam homer. That's right, and another grand slam last night. I know it. Uh, that um, that one was done without a cat, as far as yeah. I know. And a former Cub did it. <laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> Fowler's been uh, he's been on the DL, hasn't he, for a while? He was hurt for a while, yeah, and he's come back and he's been hot. But uh, he's he's a really good guy from what I've heard, a good clubhouse guy, and everybody likes him, and he's just really good teammate. So he's very popular. Now, Cub fans were not happy when they they let him go. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Something to be said for chemistry. Yes, yes, indeed. It's a 932. Uh, Brian has the news headlines. Back with more open line on Penny after that. This is Penny for your thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. Phone lines open at 3569397. And uh, Joe is next. Hello, Joe. Hello there, Jim. Good morning. 
Good morning. What's uh, up, Joe? I got one thing for how the the U.S. government can handle the turmoil over there in uh, North Korea. Okay. There, there has to be a faction over there that wants to overthrow the government, so disarm them and have them do the job. You still there? Yeah, I uh, I thought I lost you. I didn't do anything. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I said what the government needs to do is arm a faction uh, over there that's that's wanting to overthrow him and have them do the job for us. Have a coup, in other words, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know what they'd get if they uh, if they got somebody uh, other than him. I'm. I'm afraid it might be like the cartel, you know, you get rid of the boss and another guy steps up, but I, I don't know that for sure. I don't know the how many other uh, people over there but uh, that are like him, but uh, I know he's a, he's a terrible to deal with, and if you don't like what he does, he just uh, either sends you off to to camp for the rest of your life or kills you, one of the two. Yeah, he's a real nutcase, ain't he? He is, and... Uh, uh, you, you think there's some uh, sort of uh, people that are anti-government to the point that uh, something like that might happen? Well, there probably is, but they're probably keeping it a, a low, low, uh, <laughs> low stature in that country. Well, they better, or they're going to be shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks a lot. Hey, I'm glad you called, Joe. Thank you. Cheating in a game of cards can involve stacking the deck, arranging the cards in a way that advantages yourself while ensuring your opponent loses. It appears this is the way that Special Counsel Robert Mueller has approached his investigation. This is written by uh, Greg Jarrett of uh, Fox News. Mueller chose of all places, the venue of Washington, D.C., to convene a grand jury to examine evidence in the Russia-Trump investigation. It will be difficult to find a group of people more hostile to Trump than in the nation's capital. The president garnered a scant 4% of the vote there, compared to Hillary Clinton's 93%. There was already a grand jury convened in Virginia looking into the related Michael Flynn matter, and Mueller could have just as easily presented his case there. But no, that would have run the risk of being potentially fair to the president since the jurors there are more apt to be political bipartisan. So from the outset, Mueller dealt himself a high ace on the way to a royal flush. His next card, a king, is the grand jury process itself. Over time, the Fifth Amendment principle has devolved into a one-sided farce favoring only the prosecution. Defense attorneys are not allowed inside what has become a secret star chamber permitting no adverse party to challenge the truth and the credibility of witnesses through the test of cross-examination. And it gets worse. There are no enforceable rules of evidence during grand jury proceedings, 
which means that otherwise inadmissible hearsay or double hearsay is perfectly acceptable. Unauthenticated documents are copacetic. Prosecutors are free to present any, uh, present only incriminating evidence to the exclusion of exculpatory evidence. All too often, grand jurors seem rubber-stamped prosecutors' instructions. Thus the old saying, you can get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. With no meaningful limits on abusive tactics, the entire system is an anathema to fairness. A grand jury is to justice what military music is to music. It bears no resemblance. My apologies to John Philip Sousa, but you get the point. This is precisely why grand juries, which were once in vogue everywhere, have now been banished in all nations except the United States and Liberia. Mueller's queen card is the Obama-appointed judge likely overseeing the D.C. grand jury. Under local court rules, Chief U.S. District Judge Beryl Howell is the one who presides over the decisions on grand jury subpoenas, witness testimony, and any executive privilege and possible Fifth Amendment assertions. In the past, she worked closely with Attorney General Loretta Lynch and one of Mueller's top staff lawyers, Andrew Weissman. And it goes on, but... uh, Greg Jarrett saying that Mueller has stacked the deck. Well, there is no stacking of the decks when you're thinking about money and children and classrooms and those kinds of things. Don't rely on the classroom. Parents, it's up to you to talk budgets and boundaries If your child is going to college, now is the time to have the money talk. Busey suggests covering these topics with your student. Credit. Show your child your credit report. How many of you have ever done that? I don't think, I I know I never did. But what a good idea that is. Explain how their behavior with credit cards will impact their financial future. Banking, open an account in their name at your bank, making transfers easier. You can even set up overdraft protection. And fraud protection, explain the importance of keeping private information private. Budgeting, show your child how to create a budget. College debt, Kids need to understand the magnitude of the expense of college. With mobile and online services from Abusey, students can manage their finances where, whenever they want, wherever they are. Abusey's banking tools include Abusey Mobile App, Abusey Text, Abusey eBank, Abusey Bill Payment, That's where you can see and pay all your bills online. No more checks to write or postage to buy. Busey understands the demands of back to school. Simplify your finances with their mobile and online services and educational resources. 
Visit Busey.com or call 1-800-67-BUSEY. Stop by one of their many convenient locations today. It is 9.44, a break here, Mr. Bond. We're coming right back and to take more of your calls. It is 947, 73 degrees. I doubt that there has ever been a president that has uh, told uh, someone from another uh, country, thank you for sending home our diplomats because it saves us a lot of money. (laughs) That's what Trump did. He responded to a question from reporters yesterday about President Vladimir Putin's recent decision to expel hundreds of U.S. diplomatic uh, employees from Russia by thanking him and saying it would save the U.S. money. Trump said, I want to thank him because we're kind of trying to cut down on payroll. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's a great line, trying to cut down on payroll. As far as I am concerned, as far as I'm concerned, I'm very thankful that he let go a large number of people because now we have a smaller payroll. There's no reason for them to go back. So I greatly appreciate the fact that they've been able to cut our payroll for the United States. We'll save a lot of money. It was unclear whether Trump was joking when he made the comments which the Associated Press report shocked State Department officials. I bet it did. Trump's remarks, though, aren't expected to change the U.S. plans, stated by Secretary of State Rex Tillerson last week, to give a formal response to Russia by September the 1st. Putin said last month that the U.S. would have to cut 755 of its embassy and consular staff in Russia, an announcement that came in response to former President Barack Obama's expulsion last December of 35 Russian diplomats and closing of two Russian recreational retreats in the U.S. in response to Russia interference in the election. Putin's decision also came following Congress's approval by a veto-proof majority of new sanctions against Russia for the its interference in the election, and its action in Syria and the Ukraine. Send them home. We're trying to cut the payroll anyway. And uh, Sarah says, I think this current crisis with North Korea makes the Cuban Missile Crisis pale in comparison. When I was a youngster, I remember my dad saying we might regret one day living as close as we were to the Rantoul Air Force Base. Stored that in the back of my head until my former boss, who held a Ph.D. in physics, stated just a few years ago he had much the same thought during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Well, we don't know, Sarah, what's uh, going to happen there, but it's uh, I I think it's uh, scary. And, of course, I hope nothing happens, that they're able to settle. What, what, what is it they're trying to settle in the first place? I guess the fact that uh, they're, they're shooting the, uh, the missiles and, and continuing to, uh, to work on their uh, nuclear arsenal 
that's uh, caused all the uh, the problem here. But this uh, all of a sudden between a fairly small country and the United States has turned into something that's uh, involving now China and Japan and uh, Australia and everyone else. Somebody called earlier this morning, uh, I think it was a tiny in that uh, first call having to do with uh, the Urbana school superintendent and the, and the mayor urging Illinoisans uh, to ask legislators to override Governor Bruce Rauner's mandatory veto of the education funding reform bill approved by lawmakers this spring. The Senate is uh, scheduled to take up the override on Sunday, and the House is slated to do so as early as next Wednesday. If the governor's veto is allowed to stand, Superintendent Don Owen and Mayor Diane Marlin said it would punish school districts that are located within the tax increment finance districts and are subject to property tax caps like Champaign and Urbana. The state is on the verge of making a historic change in the most inequitable funding formula ever developed in the United States, and the governor vetoed that legislation, and rounder changes, would actually increase inequities and harm communities like Urbana and Champaign, Owen said of Senate Bill 1. If the state of Illinois is serious about turning around its floundering economy, maybe it should start by investing in the most powerful economic engine imaginable, our students and our public schools. We go to John. Hi, John. Good morning, Jim. Uh, Jim, listening to some of the calls, uh, it just brings to mind that in the last, uh, for the last eight years when uh, Obama was going around the country apologizing for the U.S. and their their past transgressions and paying off our enemies. I heard a lot of people at the time say, uh, someone once famous said this, that if if you go weak-kneed in the high position of government uh, with your enemies, that before long you're... Enemies do not, are not afraid of you, and your own people do not respect you. And it's, it, it came home to roost, and I'm sorry to see it, but, uh, I, I know this is a big deal, but I believe that I learned a long time ago, for what it's worth, that you don't run away from problems and solve them. You solve them, whatever the consequences are, you solve the problems, and they go away. And I think that might be a good thing for some of us to remember. Uh, you can only run so far, and we ran about as far as we can, and everybody wants a piece of us now. And everybody wants a piece of Trump because he, whether you like it or not, he is standing up for what he believes in is good for this country. And I don't consider the last eight years of apology tours as being good for the country. I, it, it's come home to roost. and so, Someone someone else is going to have to solve it. Go ahead. So what do you think he uh, should do with uh, regard to uh, North Korea? 
I think that if it comes to it, and I'm not, I'm not hoping and praying for this, but if it comes to it, don't be the second one to throw the punch. Yeah, well, let's just say that uh, North Korea shoots uh, some of these uh, missiles over Guam or uh, in the area of uh, Guam, which is what they've uh, said they're going to do. Uh, what should our reaction there be? Well, I, I, I could be real uh, boisterous about it and say, blow them off the map. I don't, I don't believe in that. I, I've talked to you before uh, about the, I'm referencing now, uh, Harry Truman. Now no, no, in the no. world. Right. Nobody, yeah. nobody wants a nuclear war. Yeah. But he, what he, what he said was, and I'll, I'd be a little bit off in this statement probably, but uh, it costs 50,000 lives, but it saved 5 million. I don't remember exactly what that figure was. Yeah, he's talking about the, the, the bombs. Nagasaki and Hiroshima, yeah. Yes, yep, got to yeah. hey, go here. Take some other calls before the uh, news. Uh, thank you. And we go to uh, Joe. Hi, Joe. Yes, good morning, Jim. Morning. Uh, concerning the situation in North Korea, um, I don't know if anybody else has noticed the deafening silence from country called Iran. Uh, normally, they're running their mouths right along with the North Koreans, but we haven't heard anything out of them. Now, whether or not the news vermin's not reporting it or not, I don't know, but uh, I doubt it. Uh, but I think they're involved in this up to their eyebrows. They took all that money that Obama gave them, the billions and billions of dollars, and are supporting the research and development of the nuclear capacity of North Korea, and uh, they in turn are getting back that technology, which they will try to use against Iran and us. Um, it's just uh, it's unbelievable what uh, Susan Rice come out yesterday and said that uh, we should just tolerate a North nuclear North Korea. Uh, he's been blackmailing the world for the last. Well, him and his father for the last, uh, what, 30 years, 40 years. She said and we should just uh, tolerate them? Yeah, yeah. She said that we should just uh, uh, accept the fact that they've got nuclear weapons and, and uh, uh, let, it, let it go, and, uh, which is pretty much the line that the entire Obama administration had. Uh, if you'll recall... This whole situation started uh, pretty much under Bill Clinton. Uh, he and Jimmy Carter worked the deal with the North Koreans where we would give them, I don't know, billions of dollars to no longer develop nuclear weapons. Uh, we see where that went. Um, Bush, he, he didn't do anything to help the situation. He didn't do anything to stop it. He didn't do anything to make it worse. But... Uh, thing is that we are where we are now, and it's going to have to be dealt with. Uh, I've heard a lot of people say, well, we need to send in a SEAL team and take out Kim Jong-un. Well, they don't remember, in fact, that it's against American law now, thanks to Jimmy Carter, for us to do that. And so if President Trump was to do that, uh, the problem would be that uh, then they'd have something else to try to uh, crucify him over so uh, the only way we could do that would be perhaps korean rock army 
their special forces troops could go in and get him, but uh, I don't know if that's being discussed or not. Uh, who knows what's going on, but I don't like it. It's, it's deadly threatening, and people need to realize just how serious this is. Well, that's right, and uh, that's what I've been uh, been uh, trying to uh, to say uh, since this uh, began. That uh, let's not uh, take this uh, uh, too lightly now, because this is a a small country, and you know what what can they do? And if we ever had a fight with them, uh, how we would win, and et cetera, et cetera. But that's not what we want. I mean, nobody wants a war. We want to get this uh, settled some way, and we're dealing with. Uh, a guy that uh, doesn't appear to be interested in uh, in talking about this at all because he's, uh, I hate to keep repeating myself, but is a nutcase. Listen, uh, thank you, Joe. I'm hitting the news. Appreciate your call, sir. Indeed. CBS News coming up. Then we're going to talk about the solar eclipse here on DWS. Welcome back to our number two of A Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. My guest here in the studio is Professor David Linton, and uh, Professor Linton has uh, been called upon to uh, talk to a lot of people about uh, the solar eclipse, and just uh, recently was at uh, here in uh, town for the Ollie Group, and uh, they said this was a wonderful, wonderful presentation and that uh, we should have this guy on the air. And I said, well, we've already got him coming, so uh, so much for that. And uh, we don't have a, an hour, uh, Professor, but uh, appreciate having you here. You are you teach down at um, EIU, right? In yes, I do, Charleston. And uh, well, if you describe your position, you're in the physics down there? What? Yes, and out of the physics department, we also teach astronomy. Introductory astronomy. We also have a uh, a major get, get a physics closer. major that uh, perfect. has an astronomy option, so they can concentrate to, uh, on astronomy if they wish mm-hmm. as an undergrad. And you were uh, I was mentioned uh, that we had a David Leak on the other the other day, and he said, uh, "Yeah, you hired him." Yes, I didn't realize you my, were at Parkland. When was that? Uh, from nineteen seventy one till two thousand two. And you yes. hire, and you you hired him. And I hired him. him. That was the best move I made, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but you are now a professor, about to become professor emeritus. You retired. You retired once, didn't you? Yes, yes, and uh, didn't take. Found out I was a very poor housekeeper, uh, house husband, whatever you want to call it. Uh, no, uh, I, there was a a need that Eastern had, and um, I was taking my son down there for classes. I walked over to the science building while he went to a meeting and about the third door into the building I saw a name on on the door that uh, I recognized and I poked my head in and I said I thought you retired and he said I did but they hired me back and I said you got any more of those (laughs) and uh, shortly thereafter I was teaching again. I just uh, read a quote last night from uh, David Letterman I don't think it's original with him but he says if uh, someone says uh, you're going to retire to spend more time with your family, you better check with your family first because <laughs> they may not want you in that house all day long. I saw that quote, yes. <laughs> I, and they've been, uh, my wife has been on me for, to retire for some time. But well, I've been wanting to get this eclipse behind me. 
I really wanted to. Yeah. This is a biggie, isn't it? It is. It is. It's been talk, a long time. Just since talk we about had. it in your own words. You're you're uh, so uh, into this, and there's so many aspects of it that uh, I think I'll just let you uh, fly on this. Uh, you may not uh, be able to get me shut up. I'm oh not yes, sure. we can uh, turn the mics oh, off. Oh, okay. Ed right. Bond has a big hook. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first eclipse I remember seeing was in 1963, and on July 20th, it was the summer before my senior year. I saw it as a partial eclipse. My brother showed it to me. I thought that was kind of neat. It's about 80% covered, which is not quite as much as we'll have here in Champaign. And I was, uh, I, little did I know that nine years later, I would be on an eclipse expedition in grad school from the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. Uh, we drove, it was more than 4,000 miles round trip to southern Mexico, uh, almost to the Guatemalan border in a tiny little Mayan village to see the eclipse of March 7th, 1970. Now, it also went up the eastern seaboard of the U.S., but it was at its maximum length down there in southern Mexico. And we were looking for interplanetary dust as it comes close to the sun. Uh, the sun's heat vaporizes it, and you can tell something about what it's made of and maybe what the comets and asteroids are made of that it came from in the first place. But the sun is so dying bright, you can't uh, see it unless you wait for a total solar eclipse. And I had heard that Dr. Peterson had a grant, and I went and knocked on his door, and he said, yes, I need another person to go along. And uh, I had that knocked off my bucket list, I think, before the, the term was invented. And then in 1978, late in 78, my colleague Daryl Seeley came to me at Parkland, and he said, I want to go see that eclipse early next year. And I said, isn't that one up north? And he said, yes, but I really want to see it. And if we don't take the astronomy club and go, because we're co-advisors to the club, uh, I'm, I'm going to take some personal time and go, go see it. Because, you know, I've checked. It's, there won't be another one this century. Really? Well, you know, you can always go to another country and see an eclipse. I mm -hmm. talked to him about that. And he said, I have no idea if I'll have enough money to be going to other countries to see eclipses. Uh, I have no idea how long I'm going to live. And I've looked. It's going to be 38 years after this one before the next total solar eclipse. He had me hooked at that point. We went to the administration, and I thought they'd turn it down. And they said yes. Surprised the heck out of me. They said, take the college van and uh, fill it up with students, get them ready. Um, the students were all for it. And that we, we did. We practiced. We studied eclipses. We studied what to do. We practiced taking photographs and using the telescope and the binoculars and, of course, the safety procedures. And then in late February, um, probably about the middle of February, Daryl and I checked out the college van for the weekend and uh, found that there was no insulation in the walls. And we were headed to northern North Dakota at the end of February. So we stuffed uh, insulation in the walls, even in the ceilings, uh, every place we could find, uh, every opening that we could make even, and that helped a lot. We started out um, after classes one afternoon, and we ended up driving all night to get to Fargo because a blizzard had come through. Mm -hmm. And we had to head west and then north to try to get behind it. The roads were icy. Saw the biggest snow plows I've ever seen in my life. Saw snow drifting. We, we had to drive very slowly, and 
there was one draft that Daryl and I had not caught, and it was on the driver's feet. And that person we determined had to be somebody wearing thick, heavy boots, insulated boots, probably insulated mm -hmm. pants as well. And uh, eventually, uh, early next morning, we got into Fargo, 20 degrees below zero. Welcome to North Dakota. It was kind of what I'd feared, but uh, I had hoped it was not going to be a blizzard. We checked with the Weather Bureau. They said uh, they didn't have a preferred place to go, so we went to mm -hmm. our original intent, intended place, which was uh, northwestern North Dakota, Bowbells, which is northwest of Minot and still in the U.S. It's, there's not much mm -hmm. northwest of Minot. Mm -hmm. And we had to arrange with a weather observer, amateur weather observer, to use his weather equipment to monitor the temperature and the pressure, mm -hmm. air pressure, wind speed during the eclipse. We got there, set up in his, in his driveway, and um, we had time before the eclipse started. David, we're going to have to uh, leave uh, you at uh, Fargo here for just uh, a little bit because <laughs> we're going to run out of time before we get to Chester. <laughs> I know you're going to Chester, right? Uh, yes, I am one. going to Chester. Let's, uh, let's see what uh, Mike has to say first. Uh, hello, Mike. Howdy. You have a question for my guest? I do. I'm going to be going south and trying to take pictures. And right before totality, there's something called the uh, Bailey's Beads and then the Diamond Ring. Um, should the one be using a solar filter at that point, or should the solar filter come off just prior to that? Very good question. I'm not an expert in photography of eclipses, although I did do some back in 1979. Our expert was actually a student that was with us, George Briggs. Um, I would uh, check the NASA website for advice on photography. If you go to the, uh, if you Google NASA five millennium solar cannon, C-A-N-O-N, and then scroll down the page that you get, you'll find photography advice. I think okay. you're going to want to take the filter off, but you don't want uh, to get a lot of light focused on the uh, sensitive elements of your camera, CCD, for example. And right. uh, I, I would be concerned about trying to give you advice off the cuff here. But uh, you'll find good help there. And also, uh, Fred Espinak, uh, who was largely responsible for putting that page together, has uh, at least two websites. One is Mr. Eclipse. And um, he's got a book out now called Totality, and he goes into depth on uh, taking pictures. I would not advise people to take pictures unless they're, they really have practiced with it and have good equipment, uh, long telephoto lenses. Uh, for most people, though, I, I would say put the cameras down, let the experts, perhaps as yourself, uh, take the pictures and just enjoy the experience. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. So you uh, should not use your uh, cell phone for this. Well, use the cell phone, take pictures. Uh, but I think uh, trying to get the sun uh, or the back of the moon, the dark side of the moon that's towards us, um, and the light around it from the sun in the pictures uh, is going to be pretty small. You're probably hand-holding that camera. Uh, it's <laughs> probably not going to turn out the best. You're not going to see very much. Right, and uh, there's... Uh, Retired physics instructor from Oxford, England, who remarked about the eclipse back in 1927 through uh, his part of the world, that uh, he had the silly idea that he could get a picture of the of the eclipse, and he spent the entire period of totality fiddling with his camera. Never got a picture, <laughs> and has no recollection of the eclipse. 
And this was in 1998, I believe, that he was thinking back, uh, describing mm -hmm. this event. He never got to see into total eclipse. Let's talk to, uh, about the uh, people in uh, Champaign-Urbana. This is going to come, uh, it's like uh, 1.30 or something like that on uh, on the 21st? The maximum is about that time. I think 1.20 is closer. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not going to be much different over a, a period of time there, um, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes time. So uh, what, what, are, what are we going to see in Champaign-Urbana? If you if look the weather, at us, if, if the weather's if, good. <laughs> the weather is going to be perfect, I'm sure, across Illinois, let's hope. Um, the moon is going to cover up the sun bit by bit, and it's just going to take a tiny little bite out of it um, probably just before noon. And then it's going to get in line with the sun. It's going to take a bigger and bigger bite. Eventually, it's going to be about 94, 95% covered. Um, I put solar panels on my, on my roof last fall. Um, I'm telling people that that's my solar eclipse detector now because <laughs> I expect the curve to go way down, uh, down to a very tiny output um, right during the center of the eclipse, which will be right around 120. And then it will last until uh, for about another 80 minutes after well, What are you telling uh, people about uh, what not to do or how to, how to watch it, uh, this uh, pinhole stuff and the, uh, the glasses and so on? Well, staring at it is a no-no. You don't want to stare at the sun. Um, if well, it's partially well, glasses covered. Glasses or anything, right? Um, if you have the proper glasses, such as ones that have been marked uh, eclipse glasses and are made by a reputable manufacturer, and you can find those names at the aas.org website. That's the American Astronomical Society. They've got a listing of, of uh, manufacturers that uh, are not counterfeiting anything. Um, and you can only see the sun through it and maybe the filament of a an incandescent light bulb that's turned up bright. Mm. Um, then it's going to be safe on your for your retina. Because otherwise your eye is a lens that's bringing the light of the sun that's coming through the pupil of the eye and it's focusing it on the back of your, your eye, on your retina. And it can burn a hole in the retina and um, you can have permanent eye damage. It's not unsafe to be outside, though. Um, there are people who, in various parts of the world, even in the U.S., who have been under the impression or have been told that there are dangerous rays during during an eclipse, and that's not true. It's the same rays, but we may have more of a tendency to try to sneak a peek looking at the sun. If you just sneak the peek, according to Fred Espinak, um, if it's just for a moment, that's not going to hurt you. But looking for any longer than that, um, certainly wouldn't want to do that without it, this protection. Uh, David, isn't the uh, same thing uh, true if uh, we went out here on a bright uh, sunny day and we just... Uh, stood there and looked at the sun for uh, for a period of a time that uh, wouldn't you get the the same eye damage as you would uh, for this yes you would it it's the same would, sun right. same thing but uh, i don't imagine you know too many people who will stare at the sun well you know you might be out of the pool or something and then you're laying up there and you're just staring and uh, not thinking what you're doing and uh, you might hurt yourself uh, Again, I would quote Fred Espinak, you'd have to be pretty intoxicated to uh, stare at the sun. <laughs> well, or a sunbather uh, uh, who is out and lying on his or her back, uh, mm -hmm. looking upwards and trying, maybe squinting even, to try to mm -hmm. see the sun for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, you would suffer some damage, 
yes. It can, and some of that damage can be repaired by the body. Uh, some of it cannot. What about this uh, a pinhole in a piece of paper uh, type thing? Or people, uh, is that a good way to, to kind of take part in this? Yes, it's an excellent way. There are so many different options on this. In fact, uh, one teacher um, in Belleville asked me uh, if if she understood this correctly, that as she sent her children out to look at the uh, partially eclipsed sun before totality came, um, if they were to keep those glasses on the entire time until totality. And I said, oh, no, heavens no, uh, because those children can't see anything through there except the sun. Uh, no one can. And they're going to get terribly bored. I said, I suggested uh, have them take a look at it early after first contact when that little bite's been taken out of it. And then maybe put them in a box for the class where they can retrieve them and look again later. And in the meantime, go stand under a tree. Look under the tree. Look at a, a sidewalk. Look at a sheet of paper or a, uh, a sheet from a bed that you've laid out there. And what you're going to see is an image of what's up above. Because the... the uh, the leaves up through the tree make thousands of pinholes, depending on how many leaves there are, mm-hmm. and you get thousands of images down on, the, on that uh, white surface. And many other ways of doing it, uh, take a paper plate, poke a hole in it, hold it up above another paper plate, maybe two, three feet apart, and try to uh, cast a shadow of the upper plate on the lower plate. And that hole is going to let some light through, and it's going to make an image of the of the sun. If the sun is well, today it'd be a round image, but on the day of the eclipse, it could be a crescent, it could be half-lit. Um, you're going to see that it's not normal. Uh, you can use pegboard. You can use a colander. You can use a, a steamer that's got lots of holes in it. My favorite is the Ritz cracker. Okay? Ritz cracker. Ritz cracker. I, I was surprised about this, but I ran across a picture on a Japan website. Um, Ritz cracker has little holes in it and hold it up above a sheet of paper, and uh, you'll see during, as you approach totality, or as you're in the partial phases, not to get to totality, which is the case for champagne, each each uh, hole will make an image of the sun. Could be lots of, uh, maybe, I don't know how many holes are in or its cracker, I haven't counted them, but maybe something like 10 images of, uh, 10 little crescents there. And then when you're done, you've had seen it enough, you, you know, snack on that, Cracker. <laughs> well, it's going to be after lunch. Maybe you should. Uh, <laughs> you could have a couple of them for lunch and then hold on to one. Sure. For the for the test. You were telling me a very interesting uh, story when you were at uh, Ollie uh, about a woman who said she was five years old. And uh, what happened there? Tell that. She was five years old or four years old. Okay. I, I've, I've spoken to her since on the phone. Um, I had just gotten to show a quote on it as a slide. And the quote was to miss something to the effect of to miss this event is literally to miss out on the opportunity of a lifetime. And then I showed that it was from the New York Times in 1925, referring to the eclipse of January 24th. And her hand went up and I called on her and she said, I saw that eclipse. Wow. And, and you thought you could not have been very old at that time. Um, I think everybody in the room had to be doing the math on that. Um, I uh, I took my microphone off. I handed it to her. I had her speak for a, a, a minute maybe. Um, and then since then I've spoken to her on the phone. Uh, 
97, I believe, is the, the math that I get here. She was, uh, she says most recently, she said she was four years old on that day, uh, not that it was her birthday. She was there with her three-year-old sister. They were in their seventh floor apartment, um, and they watched it through the window. And I said, uh, do you have big windows? And she said, oh, yes, we have big windows. It was like a big panorama of Central Park, I think. And uh, she said it was the most fantastic experience, I think exhilarating experience, exciting experience of her mm-hmm. life. And she remembers it vividly. She has an excellent memory. Uh, she went into detail about how uh, in fifth grade, uh, the teacher started reading a story. That's uh, not unusual, but uh, the story was Connecticut, the uh, Connecticut, not saying it right, Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court oh, by yeah. Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. And uh, as soon as uh, they got to the part where this eclipse was, uh, where he was forecasting or predicting an eclipse, she kind of tuned the teacher out and said to herself, I know what's coming. I understand eclipses. I'm an expert. I've seen one. And it was only just a few seconds that she saw the total solar eclipse. But she knew what was in store for that, uh, the people in that story. And she was most impressed by Mark Twain for having thought of this storyline. And as a fifth grader, uh, just a remarkable uh, recollection and reaction to that. I know a lot of people are uh, have uh, made plans for a long time. I talked to the people down at the Carbondale and the uh, tourism uh, people uh, that are trying to accommodate all the the visitors, and that they they're talking big numbers, like like including the people that live in the Carbondale, uh, two hundred thousand people. Would that be in that area down there? It's a big area. You're going in sort of in the area, in the area, but further west. Yeah, and uh, that was. Uh, that was forced on us, uh, fortunately, really, I think. Uh, we, we started to get calls at Eastern at the physics department for some educational help for teachers, for uh, schools and uh, communities that were in southwestern Illinois. And the focus of that group or the location of, of those uh, those calls, the origins of those calls, made us think that southwestern Illinois was probably a fertile area to be going down and doing some outreach. Mm-hmm. That the Carbondale area, they have plenty of educators there, That some astronomers that would be coming in. They've got a big tourism budget, I think, for this especially. And uh, there would be no shortage of information uh, being given to the schools and, and other groups. And so I started making trips to southwestern um Illinois, and uh, spoken at libraries, one library rather, and also uh, several schools, uh, speaking to teachers mostly uh, about how to watch the eclipse, how to watch it safely, how to engage their children. And uh, then I started thinking about the advantages, that uh, maybe the traffic won't be quite as heavy near Chester, and I could find some back routes out of the area afterwards that's one of the big concerns is how will i get home (laughs) when this is all over and all this is uh building up to a uh a total eclipse of uh close to three minutes two minutes and 40 seconds uh if you are depending upon where you are it can be a little bit longer than that but up to about two minutes and 40 seconds of total eclipse and uh this at this time um 
the sun, what we call the sun, which is really a layer of the sun called the photosphere, this light circle um, or light sphere, uh, is completely covered. And you get to see the atmosphere of the sun, the corona, that is always there, but it's much, it's beautiful. And you may, as we saw in North Dakota, as we're standing out in front of this house watching the shadow race in on Main Street, uh, and we're jumping up and down like little kids. It was just an amazing Beautiful experience. It's getting dark overhead along the horizon is this pink or salmon color and it starts to spread out along the horizon until at totality it's all the way around. It's like a, a sunset in all directions. And then when the sun becomes completely covered, the, the photosphere is covered, you see the corona and what we saw were big red arches with our naked eyes. We could see big red arches extending up and, and out and back down to the surface. And that's characteristic of uh, charged particles uh, being held by a magnetic field to move in a path like that. These are the solar prominences, very hot hydrogen and helium gas that's held up there by the magnetic fields. No guarantee that you'll see any prominences this time, but uh, hopefully, hopefully we will. Well, David, our time is up. This has been a very... Already? Uh, wow. Very, uh, <laughs> well, you got, you got uh, kind of uh, detoured up there in North Dakota. Well, uh, <laughs> that's where I've seen uh, totality <laughs> the best. I know. Well, it, uh, I know you're really... In, I love your uh, T-shirt. He's got on a uh, red T-shirt, which was, was television. I'll hold it, it up says, to the mic. Uh, total uh, solar eclipse over America, and uh, it's got the, uh, the path... Which starts up in Oregon and ends uh, where? Someplace down in South Carolina. Yeah, it's Charleston, Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. And, and another uh, one will be coming in just uh, six and a half years after that one, 2024. Okay. Also through Carbondale. So Illinois is very, very favored. And it's going to be a longer one then. But I understand that the weather is not going to be, the weather forecast is not good for that day. That's, I, I, want to know what, I want to know what weather <laughs> forecaster you're using. Yeah, well, uh, I, I just don't want people to say, don't go to this one. I'll wait for the next one. I'll wait for the next one, right. My guest has been uh, Professor David Linton. He's an instructor down at Eastern Illinois uh, in uh, at uh, Charleston and is about to become Professor Emeritus, and we certainly appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. News headlines with uh, Brian Barnhart, an open line after that. Here's Brian. Welcome back to uh, Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. We have uh, about 20 minutes of open line up until 11, 77 degrees at the radio center. Uh, Don is up next. Hi, Don. Hey, good morning, Jim. Good morning. Uh, I do have a question with the North Korea thing. Okay. Uh, does anybody know whose side the Democrats are on? <laughs> whose side the Democrats are on? Yeah. Hmm. I am curious. I mean, I'm serious about that. I'm curious whose side they are on. And I mean that. You mean are they on the North Korean side or our side? Right. Hmm. Are they going to stand behind this president or not? I mean, it's a serious question. I'm curious about that. Well, I know. The way you, you, way you put it, though, it seems like they're, they're all going to, the Democrats, if they're opposed to, uh, the, to uh, Trump, are going to line up on the border of North Korea. Uh, no, I don't think people took it that way. I think they know exactly what I mean. And there's a, probably a bit more truth to it than, uh... Well, though, my, I understand what you're saying. If they don't uh, support him and uh, what he uh, 
tries to do, and we don't yet know what that's uh, going to be, but if they don't uh, support them, uh, then uh, you could uh, say, uh, rightly so, that they're basically for the other guys. Oh, I mean, you could more than just say. That's, if you're not behind the president, you're not behind the country. I mean, come on. Let's be real. Especially when it comes to something like this. I mean, let's be real on that one. All right. Thank you. I was trying to agree with him there, but it was, uh, it was difficult to do because I think it's a uh, pretty obvious that there are all kinds of Democrats and Republicans that are not going to agree with him, whatever it turns out being. Because that's the way it is right now. It doesn't look like it's going to change anything. I wanted to get this story. This was in the News Gazette this morning in the editorial page, and we have so many heavy things and so many things that are not don't make you feel very good. Listen to this. Average people can get a lot done if they put their minds to it. That applies to kids, too, especially if they get a helping hand from family members and friends. So congratulations to seven-year-old Allie Cooper of Danville, a second grader with entrepreneurial and charitable instincts. Allie recently set up a lemonade stand on South Gilbert Street with the goal of raising enough money to buy an Amtrak, Amtrak, A-M-T-R-Y-K-E. That's a child for a child with a special needs. She succeeded beyond her wildest dreams, collecting $800 at last count, and donations were still pouring in. There's little doubt that Allie got some help from family members and especially generous customers, at her lemonade stand, but isn't that always the way with charitable endeavors? Donors are necessary for success, but donations only come when some public-spirited citizen, in this case Ali, gets the plan off the ground. So way to go, Ali. She has set a shining example that demonstrates how much can be achieved if one as a good heart and a good idea. Allie is donating the proceeds from her lemonade stand to Danville's Ambucks chapter. Ambucks has, for years, provided these special cycles to children with physical and developmental uh, challenges. The program not only provides a recreational outlet to children who might not otherwise have the opportunity to get out and about with their friends, but the activity gets these kids moving in a way that is physically and emotionally beneficial. Altogether, Ali and the Ambucks make a good team, one in which the community can really take pride. 10.45, a break, Mr. Bond. We're coming back. Uh, phone lines open until 11. This is Penny for your thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. We have an open line going. It's a 10.49, 78 degrees. Grab that one. Uh, could you head to... I was going to talk to you a little bit about uh, the movie Dunkirk. I don't know how many of you have uh, seen it, but you haven't really seen it until you uh, see it in 70 millimeter. That's uh, what's going to happen at the Virginia Theater. Film showings at the Virginia are at uh, 7 o'clock, August 15th through the 19th, 
And at 1 p.m. on August 19th and 20th, general admission and tickets are $8 at the uh, theater. And there's a story in the paper this morning that uh, tells about a a gentleman who's uh, going to talk about what uh, the film got right and what the film got wrong. This talk will be on August the 20th. Uh, John Lynn is a professor emeritus of history at the University of Illinois, specializing in military history, and also served as the Oppenheimer Professor of War Fighting Strategy at the Marine Corps University at uh, Marine Corps Base in uh, Quantico. So the showings will be again at uh, 7 o'clock, August 15th through the 19th, then at 1 o'clock on August 19th and the 20th. And on the 20th is when he's going to uh, give his uh, talk. The commentary about the film, uh, only one of a handful of theaters nationwide screening this picture in 70 millimeter. Will you see that? uh, If you haven't seen a 70 millimeter picture, uh, will you see it on the the screen there at the Virginia? It's quite quite a uh, sight, quite exciting. And uh, John is next. Hi, John. How you doing? Good. What's up, John? Oh, I just got a quick gripe. Um, <laughs> You're at the right place. So, this is the yeah. chaplain speaking. <laughs> well, hey, I, I applied for a passport, and I sent all the information in. They requested, and they sent me a letter back saying it wasn't acceptable. And I'm saying, okay, what's the problem? Well, my birth certificate, because I was born on a, on a household outside of town um, back in Arkansas, they decided I wasn't the birth certificate wasn't um, completed until a year after I was born, so it wasn't acceptable, even though it's got the raised stamp and everything else on it. Which I thought was interesting. So I no. called the people who asked them, uh, what else do I need to get? And they won't let you talk to the people that you're supposed to, um, that have to have the answer. They, they go to um, a service. And I said, well, I asked the lady at the service, uh, can I talk to the people to give me the answer of what I need to complete my form? No, you can't do that. You can't talk to them. You have to talk to me. Oh, that's what I'm griping about. You know, I can't even talk to the people that can actually give me the answers I need. Where were you at the uh, post office? No, this is the United States uh, Department of State trying to get a passport. Yeah, I know, but uh, who who were you talking to and where were they? They were supposedly in Virginia. Oh, I see. You're just talking to them on the phone. Yeah, this is a, a phone service that uh, is interceding the uh, before the people that, at the state. And there's no number to get to the people at the state. They have to go through those guys, and they, in turn, tell you what you need to do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, what's your next step? How are you going to get this? I don't know. I think uh, I have now, even though I've been using this birth certificate for almost eight, almost 70, 70 years, I've got to go to somewhere and get something from the Census Bureau, I guess, to prove that I, I exist. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What a, That's bureaucracy at its best, isn't it? I mean, it would be okay if I could talk to the people that could say, hey, you need A, B, C, and D, or whatever. But they, they, they've gotten, the lady says there's no direct contact with those people. That's right. It's, they're, they're too important. Oh. Um, well, I just wanted to... Just, well, just well I'm, uh, I feel, uh, feel badly for you. It's just <laughs> awful to... Uh, 
it's really uh, good if you can get to the right uh, people, and most problems can get solved. But uh, that's the problem: getting to the right people. Yeah, I tried. You know, like I said, I wouldn't didn't want to be hard on the person that was talking to me. I just said that it'd be nice if at least if they're going to do that, at least give you the answers that a person needs to, uh, you know, complete their forms. Now, where'd you say you were born? I was born in Arkansas. In Arkansas. And I called there to try to get another copy of the same birth certificate, which I don't know what good that would do. It's the same birth certificate, has the same raised seal on it, so I don't know what I'd get different from those guys. No. Well. These, these are the numbers and things they give me to, to go to, so just. <laughs> hang in there, that's all I can tell you. That's, that's <laughs> it's our government at work. Hey, uh, I appreciate need, that. <laughs> thanks a lot. Appreciate the call. Uh, we'll take our final break right here, Mr. Bond, and uh, maybe have time for a call or two. And uh, Zoe is next. Hi, Zoe. Uh, I'll try to be quick. Um, I really feel for the gentleman on the passport. I really do, uh, not being able to contact the people, but I think he might have to go back to the Secretary of State in Arkansas and find out what documentation he needs. And if that birth certificate was issued by a hospital, I know he wasn't born in a hospital, but they won't take that one. It has to be a state one. I had this happen because I was a preemie, and they didn't make one for me, and I had to go to the go get documentation like my baptismal and different things from to prove I was born. Mm, because, okay, that's, yeah. uh, that's a good idea. Listen, I'm going to have to hurry and get okay. another, one more call. Thank, uh, you. thank you, Zoe. Uh, this is uh, David. David, you've got about 15 seconds. Go. Good morning. Uh, the gentleman with the passport problem. If he can't get the proper answers, he can contact his representative, and that individual can get the answers for him. That's a very good idea. Thank you, David. Our time is up here on WDWS in Champaign-Urbana.